Jesus Christ, the same yesterday, today, and forever. You know, I was thinking as we were singing that song, I Need Thee Every Hour, that really that differentiates all people. Those that know they need the Lord and those that don't realize how much they need the Lord. Thank you, son. And so I appreciate you being here today and uh, maybe that song will uh, uh, help us to recognize how much we need the Lord, to know the Lord uh, through his word. And even those that don't think that they need the Lord, maybe your heart will be convinced today of your need for Christ, of your need for the Lord. Well, I just want to, before I start, I want to say that I'm so excited about uh, my daughter being here, my beautiful, lovely daughter, and her four children who are just fantastic. We love them so much. Uh, Tegan and Roman and Phoenix and baby Marin is about 11 months old. She was born on my birthday. And uh, so, and then uh, also we're so glad uh, for Rachel uh, being able to be with her husband. And Adam, we appreciate so much you bringing your family down and taking the time off work. Uh, We just uh, don't get to see y'all much and we love you so very much. So you'll get to see these guys and, and meet them if you'd like. We're going to look, and we've been looking the past several times that I've preached, the goodness of God shown through the Holy Spirit. The goodness of God shown through the Holy Spirit. And I want you to remember as we read through this passage this morning, you can go ahead and look up Romans chapter 5, verses 1 through 11 is what we'll be covering today. When you read this scripture this morning, and when you hear me Uh, try to preach it, Uh, remember that this was written by Paul, who had been a hater of God, a hater of the church, a hater of the followers of Christ. But God had so turned his heart that he spoke of the love of God. He spoke of being rescued from the wrath of God. God turned his heart in such an amazing way. He was the worst enemy of Christianity in the first century. And he wrote these words that we're going to read today. So I want you to remember that. Well, uh, this morning we want to see, as we read this also, the radical nature of God's love is constantly confirmed in the souls of those who follow Christ by the Holy Spirit. We're going to see this in this passage, that God just reassures, He affirms, He confirms, He continually does a work in a true believer's heart to let them know that they're loved, to let them know that they are His, they are His children. Now, you may not have experienced that. You may not know for sure whether you're following Christ or not. The most miserable person in the world is a person whom the Holy Spirit is dealing with, but they've not yet come to that place of following Christ. Because God's Spirit is beginning to draw them and deal with them, and so the things of the world don't look so great to them anymore. 
But they haven't yet followed Christ and know His love and know His grace and know His mercy. But they're wanting to know. They're being drawn that direction and they're just kind of torn apart. And some of you may be that way. And I pray that today you will wholeheartedly embrace the goodness of God. Several years ago, I was preaching a series of meetings. It was supposed to go a week. And the pastor and I was out visiting in the community. We went down this road and he said, I don't know where this is. He turned and we went down another road. He said, I've never been on this road. I mean, he had been all over. And he went down another road and it dead ended. And there was a house right there. At the time, we turned off the vehicle because we were going to ask them where we were because we were lost, helplessly lost. We, we just didn't have a clue where we were. When we got out of the car, this old lady couldn't hardly walk. She said, come on in. I've been waiting for you. You're late. And so we were a bit surprised and we walked into her house and she had the table set. She had lunch ready and she says, sit down. We're going to have some lunch. And her elderly husband, probably about 90 years old, came into the table and we talked with him. And then we said, why do you have this lunch for us? And why did you say we've been expecting you? She said this morning... I was reading my Bible and I was praying and talking to the Lord. And the Lord said to me, today, two servants of God are going to come to your house and you need to feed them. Now, I don't know about things like that, but that sure confirmed in my heart and the pastor's heart that God was up to something big. That night, there were many who came to Christ and said, we want to follow Him. The night after, it was the same. And we didn't stop at two weeks. We went, or one week, we went on to two weeks because every night, people kept coming to Christ. And it confirmed that God was at work. God was doing something in an amazing way. Now, Romans 5, 1 through 11. Look there with me if you would. Therefore, having been justified by faith, we have peace with God through the Baptist church. That's not what it says. Through doing the best we can. That's not what it says. Through trying to be a good man or a good woman and treat people right. That's not what it says. This is a truth that cannot be altered that cannot be changed in any way. It is an irrevocable, eternal truth of the everlasting gospel. Therefore, having been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom also we have obtained our introduction by faith into this grace. That's a great statement. In which we stand. And we exult in the hope of the glory of God. And not only this, but we also exult in our tribulations. Knowing that tribulation brings about perseverance. And perseverance, proven character. 
and proven character, hope. Remember the word hope in the scripture means confidence. It doesn't mean a wish. It means I know. I know this is certain with all of my heart. So when you go through these trials and you go through difficulty, it increases our confidence of God rather than decreases our confidence. And hope does not disappoint. This confidence of God that he gives us will never let us down. If we trust in the Lord and not ourselves, we will never be let down. If we trust in ourselves and not the Lord, we will always find ourselves in a mess. We'll always be anxious about everything. We'll always be trying to do things right, but it never fulfills that emptiness in our soul, that desire to be what we know we ought to be, and we know we're not. But when you have confidence in the Lord, you put your faith in Him, you'll not lose hope. You will not lose hope. Verse 5, and hope does not disappoint because the love of God has been poured out within our hearts through the Holy Spirit who was given to us. For while we were still helpless, at the right time, Christ died for the ungodly. For one will hardly die for a righteous man, though perhaps for a good man, someone would dare even to die. But God demonstrates his own love toward us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Now you can't change that fact. It's a fact of history. It's a fact of scripture. It is a forever eternal, eternally true fact. Christ died for the ungodly, for the sinner. That's the reason that he died. Much more, verse 9 then, having now been justified by his blood, we shall be saved from the wrath of God through Him. We deserve the wrath of God. But we have been saved. Those of us who are followers of Christ, we have been saved from the wrath of God by His blood. Justified. For while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God through the death of His Son. How much more, having been reconciled, we shall be saved by His life. Perfect life. Yet He died a sinner's death. Whose sin did he die for? Mine and yours. Lived a perfect life without sin, yet he was condemned to die and died like the worst criminal died. He died the death of a cross. And he did that for you, on behalf of you, substituting his life for you and your sins, me and my sins. Look at verse 11. And not only this, but we also exalt in, God, exalt in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have now received the reconciliation. In this passage, we see some truths about God and salvation that every believer knows is true. Every believer believes what I've just read. In fact, you believe that it is truer than the truest truths that you know on this earth. Five plus three is what? Eight. I heard Tegan say that. Five plus three is eight. Is that a truth? It absolutely is. But this that I've read is truer than the truest truths that we know here. 
Even if you don't know it, if you don't realize it, it's still true. You may not believe that man went to the moon, but he did, and we have proof of it. My grandma never believed it. She said it was staged in Hollywood. Nobody will ever be able to go to the moon. They made that up, and she believed that until the day she died. She watched it on TV like everybody else. Well, you didn't, many of you. But uh, on a black and white TV, and you saw that the lunar module land on the moon, but my grandma wouldn't have any of it. That's made up. Well, it didn't matter whether my grandma believed it or not. It was true. Now, you may not be a follower of Christ, but He died for you. He died for sinners just like you. For the helpless just like you. It's a fact. It's a forever fact that nothing can take away. Now, as we break down this passage, there are some things that I want us to see and know and understand. First of all, the child of God knows they have been justified by faith. Now, they may not know what justification means, but every true child of God knows that something has happened in their heart. I've heard new believers say, it's like I've been washed on the inside. It's like a weight has been lifted that was on me. Every believer, new believer, they know that something has happened to them. I have a friend who was not a believer. In fact, he raised his fist against God and he said, you'll never break me. He was against God. He hated God. But one day, in his hate and in his bitterness, he picked up a Bible and he started reading it. And he read it through. And right around the book of John, God broke his heart. Now, he didn't know what being saved meant. He didn't know what being born again meant. He didn't know what being justified meant. But he knew something had happened in his heart. And he was changed. He said, all I wanted to do after work was read what God had said to find out what had happened in my heart. Finally, someone came by that he looked up to, and he described this experience that he had had. And the man said, well, that is great. Do you know what's happened to you? You're a child of God now. You've been saved by what Christ has done for you in the cross. You are a follower of Christ. You know when the Lord has changed you. You know when the Lord has washed your sins away as if you had never sinned before. That's justification. And the child of God knows this. Look in verses 1 and 2. Therefore, having been justified by faith, we put our faith in Christ. We confess Him as Lord. Even though we've not seen Him, we weren't there at the cross, but we take God's Word at it, and we trust in the Lord and what He has said, and we put our faith in Christ. Our confidence is in Him. We have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom also we have obtained our introduction by faith into this grace, in which we stand, and we exalt in the hope of the glory of God. Look at verse 9. 
Much more then, having now been justified by His blood, we shall be saved from the wrath of God through Him. This flies in the face of every good man and every good woman. If you think that your goodness will take you to heaven, then you're actually saying that the death of Christ, the blood of Christ, was not necessary to save you. You can save yourself. You can live the way you want to live. You can treat people nice sometimes, and you can be mean to people at other times, but on the inside, you justify who you are deep down in your soul, and you think, my good will outweigh my bad, and I believe I'll get to heaven. You have deceived yourself. You've lied to yourself. Because justification, God dealing with your sin and mine, only happens through the blood of Christ. Not by anything that we can do, that I can do, through the blood of Christ. Now next thing, that's amazing in this fifth chapter, our trials only serve to increase our confidence in God. Our trials only serve to increase our confidence in God. You say, well, that doesn't make any sense. I don't like going through difficulty. I don't like being anxious about tomorrow and not knowing what's going to happen. I don't like uh, just things happening that are out of my control. Some of you that I'm speaking to this morning, you are absolute total control freaks. I mean, you want to be in control. If you're not in control, you are miserable. I see some fingers pointing. And really, really, it's all of us. It's all of us. We think that we control our destiny, control this day. I can do as I want to do, and it will be good because I do it, and we have deceived ourselves. But for a believer, for a follower in Christ, it's not just hoping that we're doing good enough. It is knowing that Christ has already done what we so desperately need. And even in our trials, even in our difficulties, we trust in a God who loves us, who has confirmed that in our heart. It enhances our worship. We experience confidence in the midst of trials, whether they are small but painful, like disappointments, they'll come. I'm reminded of, of my son, Caleb, when he was probably uh, four, five, six years old. And I hate to tell this on him while he's here, but I guess it's better to do it here than behind his back. When he had something in his mind that we were going to do or someplace that we were going to go and something happened and we didn't get to do what he had his heart set on doing, he was over the top beside himself many times. It was just a minor disappointment. We were disappointed too. But for him, it was a major, earth-shaking, terrible event. Some of you may have had children like that. Now he's not that way anymore. Maybe God used that to prepare him and do a work in his heart. But there can be painful disappointments that we face or life-altering, devastating loss. And some of us may have experienced them. Life-altering, devastating loss. But we know as believers there is a purpose. God is up to something. Look at verse 3. 
And not only this, but we also exalt in our tribulations, knowing that tribulation brings about perseverance. And perseverance, proven character, and proven character, hope, our confidence. God uses the things that we go through to strengthen us, to prove us, to try us, as you would uh, put metal into a fire to strengthen it. He's doing that for our good. We know that He's up to something good, so our faith, our confidence in Him is not shaken, but He meets us there in the fire. He meets us there in the tribulation. He meets us there in the devastating loss. How many times, I'm not going to ask you to raise your hand, but how many times you who follow Christ and you love the Lord, have you experienced the sweetness of the Lord Jesus in times of great difficulty, in times of devastating loss, and even in times of just disappointment? How many times have you experienced the Lord? It's not just an experience. It's a proven fact through Scripture that this is what God does. And verse 9 says, Much more then, having now been justified by His blood, we shall be saved from the wrath of God through Him. Through Him. Our trials only serve to increase our confidence in God and enhance our worship. Listen, when the child of God goes through difficulty... There's something that happens in his heart while he's clinging to his God that his soul erupts in worship. His confidence is strengthened. You can read of the martyrs of the faith and you can read of how they died because they would not deny the Lord Jesus Christ. Some were burned with fire. Some were drowned. Some were covered with tar and pitch, and then they were lit on fire and put on poles to light Nero's parties in the evening. And there they would burn, and that fire would burn. But they never would deny Christ. And the Lord met them in their difficulty. And there is a purpose. God's up to something. Just remember that. We know we have right standing with God. Now, how many of you know, don't raise your hand, but how many of you know that you are right with God, that you have right standing with God? That's the righteousness that we need. Not your best, not your righteousness. We need to be right with God, His righteousness. What He has done for us, we cling to. I need you every hour. Not that you're saved over and over again. That's not... That's not what the scripture says, but, but we know that we need Him. Our faith is in Him. Our trust is in Him. And we need Him every hour. We have right standing with God. Do you know that for certain? Do you know that for certain? This is the most important question that you could ever settle as a human being in your lifetime. Am I in right standing with my Creator? The one who made me. Why am I here? Why did God place me here if he made me? What purpose is my life? What does God, if there is a God, what does he want to do in my life? The soul thinks about these things deep within our being. 
Our mind may reject, but our soul keeps coming back to some of these questions because it's the most important question that you could ever ask. We worship God freely and frequently. Freely and frequently when we're truly saved. When we're confident of the goodness of God shown through the Holy Spirit. When we have been showered by the radical love of God. Here's what happens. We worship God. Look in verses 2 and 3 and 11 and you'll see the word exalt. Exalt. It's a little different word than exalt or worship. It means in the context that th- of this passage that this person, this follower of Christ who is going through trials and difficulties and struggles, they will actually be turned to God even more. They will receive from God even more during the difficulty. So their heart is turned to praise. Their heart is turned to worship even in their pain, even in their difficulty. They worship God not just when they come to church, but they worship God all through the day. They think of ways that they can serve others. They pray that God might use them and He will answer that prayer. They are praising the Lord through their life, through their treatment of others, through their daily life. Is that happening with you? To exalt the Lord in such a way, through difficulty and through struggle and through trial. This is found in verses 2, in verses 5, in verses 10. And then we see in verses 2 and 3 and 11, the words exalt. We always have a reason to worship and live in confidence. Verse 8, we will exalt in grace, in the hope of glory. Verse 2, we will exalt in God through Christ. Verse 11, there's always a reason to worship the Lord. We sang 10,000 reasons, but there's actually more than we could ever know to worship the Lord. Verse 5, read it with me. Verse 5, and hope does not disappoint because the love of God has been poured out within our hearts through the Holy Spirit who was given us. Every true child of God has not only the gift of eternal life, not only the gift of being washed from their sins by the death of Christ, but we have been given a gift in the Holy Spirit who continually reminds us how good God is, how much we have to praise Him for. The Holy Spirit is continually working in our hearts to show us this. Any of you been to Victoria Falls in Africa? Anybody? It is amazing. It just seems like water is coming from everywhere. And as far as you can see almost, there's waterfalls just cascading, cascading into these rocks. It's a beautiful, beautiful waterfall. Some say it's the most beautiful in the world. And it's just constantly, the water is cascading. It never stops. How many have been to Niagara Falls? It's awesome, isn't it? It's awesome. It's smaller than Victoria Falls, but it's higher. And that, the, the power that we see there, we hear the power. 
you go in through the tunnel and you get up under the falls behind it, I'm telling you, it is an awesome thing to be under that powerful water flowing over Niagara. Can you imagine getting in a wooden barrel and going over the Niagara Falls? Some idiots have done that. God didn't put Niagara Falls there for idiots to go over it in wooden barrels. But some have. I don't think any of you have because you wouldn't be here listening to me today, more than likely. Although some have done that and lived amazingly. This is what the love of God poured out in us is talking about. It is the cascading, ever-flowing love of God that the Holy Spirit just keeps reminding us of, keeps pointing us to, keeps drilling it in our heart and in our soul that God has been so good to you. God has been eternally good and righteous. God will continue to be righteous. Yes, this world is difficult, but God is good. And at the end, we will be in the presence of this good God. And that love will just keep on cascading and flowing. God is preparing us here for heaven. Where all we will know will be the love of God for eternity. But the believer here experiences that love. It's a love that keeps pouring. Sometimes we can block it off. Do you know the Niagara Falls gets blocked off where it's not falling? The ice begins to jam up and it begins to hit on the rocks and it piles up and the flow is stopped. Some of you have done that with your rejection of God. Your heart is cold. It's as cold as a stone. It is ice cold and it doesn't want anything to do with God or the love of God. You need to break up those things that are keeping you from God's love. You need to repent of some sins that you're holding on to, some things you love that God does not love. You need, to, you need to get on your knees and you need to ask God, God, do a work in my heart. Break up the coldness and the hardness of my heart. Do you know what? God will absolutely answer that prayer. And then when it begins to break apart, that rush of God's love will begin to flow in you and through you. In Christ, oh, without Christ, this passage shows us those who are, who are without Christ their state, their condition. Maybe some of you identify with this. They are helpless. They are ungodly, verse 6 says. They are sinners, verse 8 says. Verse 10 says, they're the enemies of God. That means there is animus. There is hostility toward God. You say, I'm not against God in any way. If you don't embrace the cross, if you don't embrace Christ, if you're not in love with the holy God, who has given you his love over and over again, then you are in a state of opposition against God. No matter how good you may think you are, no matter how uh, good to other people that you may think, I, I do so many good things, you are an enemy of Christ. That's what this passage says. Some of you remember what it was like to be an enemy of God. You remember what it was like to not have the love of God cascading in your heart. 
to feel helpless, to feel empty, but to put on that prideful, I don't need God, to put that on when someone talks to you about the things of God. But in your soul, you know that it's true, that you're helpless without Christ. Now listen to this, child of God. In Christ, we are justified. Our sins are cast into the sea of forgetfulness and is cast as far as the east is from the west. That is into infinity. God has, by His omnipotence, by His power to do anything He chooses to do, has brushed our sins away from us because of the cross, and He has cast them from His holy presence, and they are gone. They are forgotten in the blood of Christ. And we read that in verse, in all of this passage. We have peace. The war is over. Finally, we say, oh God, I have peace with you. I'm not at war with you anymore. I'm not fighting against you anymore. I am at peace. Do you sense that peace? The Bible describes it as peace like a river. Peace that passes all understanding. Have you experienced that? It doesn't mean that you're always in a happy, tranquil state like a Buddhist monk. You're just sitting there and you're just smiling. I'm at peace. Oh, I'm peaceful. And all around you, there can be just things happening and you just say, oh, that was so good. The peace of God is does not settle every conflict in our life. The peace of God does not mean that everything will come to a great conclusion that is now troubling you. The peace of God does not mean that all of your struggles are going to be over. But the peace of God is an inner confidence that even though you have struggles and you have difficulty that may never end, God is your peace. God has set your soul at peace. I see Rita. I don't mean to pick out one, but I see Rita and I knew her before she had that peace. And man, you see her now, and she is a house of fire for God. But I saw in her, when I first began to know her, confusion. I saw an emptiness. I saw someone that was searching, someone that didn't know. But when she surrendered to Christ, when Christ came and changed her heart, when her God made His love known to her, and He gave her His peace, showed her His grace, she got up and there was a different Rita in that body. And it's still that way. And God can do that to the worst of sinners. Like Gene Pender. No, I'm just kidding. We talked about it this week. She was a pretty bad sinner. She loved the party life. And man, she was just all about getting off work, going to the next party. And that was her. That's what she looked forward to more than anything else. But God began to turn her heart toward Him. And sitting there in front of a television, watching Billy Graham, whom she hated, TV preachers, she could not turn it off. And she listened to him, and God began to break her hardened, sinful heart. Her hostility 
with God ceased. And for the first time, when she got down on her knees and said, Lord, I need you. Lord, I don't know what I'm doing, but I come to you. That hardness began to break. God did a work in her heart. And it's never stopped until this day. She has peace. That her best day, we talked about this, her best day as an unbeliever is far worse than her worst day as a child of God. And that's a good way to put it. And we will have some bad days, but at least we know and we have confidence that God has done this work for us that we can never do. That we have peace with God through the cross. We always have confidence and strength for living. The abundant life, it's always there. Verse 5 talks about this confidence, this hope. It's always true. It's ever present. It's always ready to rescue. This confidence that God gives us gives us strength for living, strength for going through the difficulties and the trials because we have confidence in God. If all you're doing is looking at the trials and the struggles, then you'll begin to doubt and be in fear and despair. But if you have God present in your life because you have bowed your knee to the living Christ, then those problems are not more powerful than Jesus. Those difficulties are not greater than what Jesus went through for us. And we begin to have confidence in the Lord. The love of God is always being poured out. It never takes a vacation. It's always there. It's ever present. And we've been given the gift of His Son, verses 8 through 11. Given the gift of the Holy Spirit, we've seen that. And we've been rescued from wrath. All of us deserve. We've been reconciled to God. We were on death row. Now, it doesn't mean anything to be on death row. Because, well, in Arkansas, there's still a death row. But in many states, there's no longer a death row. And I'm not speaking for or against capital punishment. Some of you may be for it, may be against it. But can you imagine being in a cell? You cannot go anywhere. You cannot do anything unless you're told you can. You cannot get away from it. You cannot do anything about it yourself. And your death is imminent. We can't even imagine what that would be like. But what if someone stronger and more powerful than you can imagine came and opened that door and said, you're free. You're free. Go in peace. Wow. Wouldn't you love that person? Wouldn't you want to know more about that person? Wouldn't you want to surrender your life to that person? You're held in the jail, in the prison of your sins. You beat yourself up over things that you should have done, but you didn't. You think you just messed up too many times and God will never love you. That's a lie of the devil that keeps you in a prison. But I want you to know, King Jesus is the one that pardons our crimes. He is the one that takes away our sins, our crimes against God as though they never had happened. Isn't that a great God? 
deserving of our love, deserving of our worship, deserving of our lives to live for him. I'd like for you to close your eyes, bow your head, if you would, in this holy moment. You've been given a gift. It's the gift of God and his word having an opportunity to speak to you, to draw you to him. You cannot be saved on your own. You cannot be saved just because you want to be. But if God is drawing you and dealing with you, you have a choice. It's not about joining a church. It's about loving Jesus because he loved you and gave himself for you. I want you to think about these things. And I'm going to pray. Father, I thank you for your love and grace and mercy. Thank you that you have not come to condemn us. You've come to set us free.